Welcome back, everyone, to Out of the Main, episode 23.17, I believe it is. Uh, John, how are you this fine evening? I'm 17 episodes into 2023. So, John, if uh, you were one of the cool kids back in the 90s, which, yeah. of course, we know you weren't. No, yeah. because I have three Jack Wagner albums, and I have them sitting right next to me here. But we'll get to that. We'll get to you that. were never a cool kid in any decade, but anyways, yeah. Um, if you were one of the cool kids in the '90s, then uh, this particular banger would have been the soundtrack to the summer of your 1998. Yeah. Summer long. Yes. Summer long. And we listened to that on the river. We were in Detroit and we had a radio station that was called The River that actually came to us from Canada. So, which is where our artist is from. But that's where I learned about John Hyatt. I learned about um, what are the Canadian artists? Well, they would play a lot of Gino Vanelli. So that's where I heard Black Cars for the first time and Corey Hart, all these Canadian artists that we couldn't get otherwise. So, what was amazing to me is. Uh, what I thought I knew about M. Griner in 1998, fast forward 25 years, she's still singing about Endless Summers, but now with a decidedly yachty twist. Yeah. So let's welcome on to the show none other than M. Griner. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And this is my partner, Michael Holmes, who wrote the album with me. So not summer long. And Michael Holmes, yes. Welcome as well. Thank you. And big Jack Wagner fan. So... so I- I got to ask right off the bat, um, uh, a question that's been <laughs> burning at me since um, I discovered that you were working on this quote unquote modern yacht project that when you reached out to me, I'm like, is this the same M. Griner from Summer Long 1998? And sure enough, it is. And so I'm just dying to find out how we get from 1998 Summer Long to 25 years later pursuing a totally, you know, slightly different genre, which John and I have both done. We've had this evolution, and here we are in 2023 doing this new genre of modern yacht rock. So tell us how that whole thing evolved and how we got from then to where we are today. Well, first of all, this is like a dream to be on your podcast. I've been looking forward to this because, you know, I've been messaging you and like, oh, can I talk to you now and you're like oh maybe wait till the album's out and I'm like can I talk to you now and now the album's out so really excited um honestly like it's hard to encapsulate like 20 years but um I think a lot of it had to do with the pandemic and prior to the pandemic you know I went through a lot personally and then I met Michael and um Michael is a poet you're right here I guess you could talk but um yeah. It's amazing like to invite um to have invited you in to songwriting because I'm kind of a controlling person and you sort of wonder like oh you know like how's this going to go but we had already been watching all these documentaries during the pandemic like the classic albums of the making of Asia and the uh, Chicago documentary which was interesting and um where you learn that horn players are problematic <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. 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 Well, David Foster was problematic too for some people, but. <laughs> <laughs> but he had all those awards on his piano. They were beautiful. They were proof. Yeah. That's they're not true. just yeah. awards, they're Grammys. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get that right. Um, so. It just kind of came down to A, having fun together, and then B, like, let's be honest, like I, Michael McDonald, like it all started with with Michael McDonald and wanting to, um, I think it was like December of 2020 when I was like, I'd love to get him on a song. So I wrote a song called... Um, if I can find true love, I can find Michael McDonald. And it's not on the new album, but it was what led me to the producer who ended up producing the album because he's a friend of Michael McDonald's. So he sort of was like, well, you know, I don't know if I should pass this on to Michael, but if you want to make an album that's like this, like, let's just start talking about it. So that's kind of, you know, between our songwriting and meeting Fred Mollen, the producer, that's where it all came from. And it was great because I was just able to admit that, you know, yeah, I love the rock and all that and the indie rock and folk and stuff, but this is where my heart's really at. So, And we started in the pandemic um, hanging out together and going for walks and started exploring the m- music that we mutually loved. And we both had this like long-term, um, really deep affinity for Steely Dan, for Doobie Brothers, for all the same kinds of music. And it just... When we started to write songs together and M said to me, hey, do you want to try this? Um, it came out naturally. It was just the music that we were communicating about anyway. And it, it was just, it was it was how we were expressing ourselves. It just seemed to fit seamlessly with, with those sounds and um, that point in music history. It sounds like... Um I mean, similar to my start, we're with page 99, where it just became a passion project that you're going through these years and you're, you're starting now your career in the nineties and you're year by year, you're just kind of, pers- you're, you're going along with what culture is not necessarily that you're chasing it, but, but there are things that happen musically and they're all around you and you're influenced by that. And we got to this point where Tom and I talk about in kind of it's been like since the early 2000s i feel like we're in this endless time loop since then with the same beats the same one five six four progressions over and over and over again and i know that artists at some point decide they want to do something that just doesn't do that anymore and we know steve lukather talks about adult chords or big boy chords or whatever the term was that he used so you have a music education behind this. So at some point you decided you want to do something that embraces this, whether it becomes popular or not, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, and I think that's what I love so much about this music is that you can finally show, um, like I I said to you before about geeking out, <laughs> um, It's it's like I can let all that musicality come through. Like I grew up, listening to American Top 40, but I also grew up listening to like John Patitucci records and like, just like, I don't know, like stuff that 14 year olds don't (laughs) normally listen to. So like to be able to embrace like the muso kind of side of things is like really liberating after 20 years of you know, there is that culture of like cool and you're, you're spot on when you say like following trends because summer long, I was trying to be the Smashing Pumpkins in that song, yeah. right? Even it's, if you aren't trying to, it's just, it's there, right? You know? Yes. Yeah. 
And that's an easy thing to do when you're 20, right? Like you kind of, it's expected that you'd follow trends or you don't, you don't have any other kind of thing to, I don't know, the, the experience isn't there, I guess. Or maybe you don't have the awareness to just do what you really, like really love to do. So. Yeah, but the beauty of this album is that it has all of that sophistication, but it doesn't feel like one of those albums that musically is talking down to the listener. Oh, you know, you're not yes. trying to be cool with chords. It all just fits and it's easy to listen to. Yeah, I mean, I kind of wish we were more like cool with chords. Like, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. actually, yeah. a new song that we're trying to write. That's an album title right there Cool with Chords. Yeah, Cool with Chords. <laughs> <laughs> a new song that we're trying to write like, is Fashioned After 99 Ooh, by Toto. There you go. And like, I actually got the sheet music for 99 to learn those progressions, not to copy them, but just like trying to figure out, oh, where did they go, right? And that's something I learned from Bowie too, is like, if you learn someone's music, um, you ha- then have that in your vocabulary to to take from as a songwriter. The um, In terms of sophistication though, I, um, people should know these names. I'll let you talk through kind of their uh, background, but... Uh, personnel, John, as we always talk about. These, these won't oh, be, yeah. you know, this isn't uh, Picaros and things like that, but this is an oppressive lineup of people with oppressive histories. Uh, walk us through who the personnel on this, if you don't mind. Uh, this is for either Michael or M, um, because we've got experience with Toto, Michael McDonald, Allison Cross. The bass playing, by the way, is phenomenal on this record. Just, mm-hmm. oh my mm-hmm. God, I could listen to the whole thing, just listen to the bass. So uh, how did you get these cats? Who are they? And uh, give them some cred. Wow, I think we have to start with the producer, Fred Mullen. And M started to tell that story, but he's uh, he's kind of a hybrid Canadian-American. And he worked with Dan Hill. Um, he worked with America. He's got a really like wide-ranging list of credits. And um, when we started to, to, to get the material together... He's got a great story. He says, nobody's ever done this to me before. But we came to him and six months out said, we got to try and get these guys. And M had some people in mind and I had some people in mind and Fred had some people in mind and it all came together in Nashville. So maybe you want to talk about the personnel. So Yeah. So, I mean, Shannon Forrest, uh, Fred mentioned Shannon and then we went off and looked at a bunch of Dukes of September, uh, videos and, you know, um, Toto stuff. And I became fixated on Shannon playing on the record because to me, drums set the stage for everything. Bingo. Right. Yes. So, um, I was kind of obsessed with like, can we make sure that we got him? Right. And then you brought Tom Bukovac in, which was like, yeah, like he's an incredible guitar player. So, yeah. And then Fred suggested Pat Buchanan and, and Pat Buchanan's credits are just kind of mind blowing when you think that he played with uh, cameo. cameo and, <laughs> and so many people in Nashville, but there's this incredible video of him online playing with cameo in the suit and, and rocking out, but it was just, that he was there and Tom Bukovac was there and Pat Coyle, um, we both fell in love with in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a sweet, incredible human being and just a monster piano player, keyboard player. It's just the, what he can do in, in jazz, what he can do in pop music is just mind blowing. Yeah. And also that Pat had played with Michael McDonald cause, and, 
I mean, there are voicings that I don't know how to do as a keyboard player that that Pat does that really echo that Michael McDonald style, right? Um, so for Pat to have like listened to the demos that we made and just really kind of, you know how, I don't know if you guys have had this experience where people take your demos and then do something totally different, right? Hmm. Everyone really like listened to our demos, which we kind of crafted like kind of meticulously. Yeah. And then it just, they expanded them with their experience and their, you know, like I like to say there's nothing ironic about this record. You know how I think some some artists kind of make like an ironic, chill, soft rock yeah. album. Yeah, This is like not that because everyone was there in the 70s and 80s like doing this. So that's what I'm most proud of. Yeah, and when, when we got into the studio that first day, Fred had this really great kind of warm-up um, rah-rah speech for everybody. And he looked at everybody and said, you know, every time you go into the studio now, people tell you, don't play like a studio cat. I want you to feel like, uh, I want you to feel like you're with the performer. You're, you're with the band. Um, but in this case, I want you to play like a studio cat, pull out every trick, do everything that you can in service of the songs and go nuts. And the one revelation to me and was, was Larry Paxton who is the, the house bass player of the Grand Ole Opry. And he played bass for us and did, did the charts for us and just held everything together. He's incredible. Lots of, lots of jokes about four over five. Oh, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. Didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even know what that was until we met Larry Paxton. And also a lot of stories about his knife, knife collection. So we started to write a song <laughs> called Larry's Knives. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I'd release that as a single, but maybe an album, <laughs> album <laughs> cut, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, d- well, deep yeah, cut yeah, anyway. So, um, yeah. what, um, obviously vocals, and you mentioned keyboards. What would you call your primary instrument, say, beyond vocals? Are you? I think it's still piano. Yeah. Like I love to play bass. Um, I dream of being as good as someone like Larry. Um, I've had to learn a lot of his parts, and I've sort of sixty percent have learned them. <laughs> but um, yeah, like piano is very part of me, and I feel like I can set the mood best with piano. Um, you know, a song like "Loose Wig," for example. Um, I that was like written after seeing the making of Asia and just seeing like how hard hitting like Donald Fagan is with the keys. And I just like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, like I, I've never really seen anyone play that way. And what happens if I try to do that and it's exhausting, but I was trying to kind of cop that sort of feel. Cause there you are on um, the video for Jack, which will we'll, maybe we'll, let's drop in a little bit of this, of that song right now here. Let's hit Jack. All we need is a little more Jack. Our love's come back is forever enough. All we need is a little more Jack. True love's come back. So on that one, you're. Standing in front of a uh, mocked-up set of Radio Shack <laughs> called Radio Jack, right? And you're playing bass while you're singing this tune. So I thought maybe you were a bass player because you look pretty legit. I am a bass player. I've, I've played right. since I was 14. Okay. But uh, I didn't play on the record, but I love bass. It is yeah. really fun to play live. I've played since I was 14 as well, and I'm not a bass player. 
uh, as John will attest. <laughs> uh, but I try. Untrue. I try hard. Well, I wanted to. Speaking of Jack, um, and um, I, I want to tip my hat to the subtle references, the attention to detail in this record, just in general, completely mm-hmm. sonically, um, from a production standpoint, lyrically, Michael. Um, the, the horns. horns. Um, I hope we'll get to a couple of the sonic references I want to mention, but starting with lyrics, these little Easter eggs that you drop throughout the record, and they're not done in a in a in a way that suggests kitsch. They're like to me, it comes across as an homage. So we have references to yeah. a black cow um, dancing in the moonlight. Yeah, um, Larry Carlton by name. Uh, we're going to need a bigger boat. (laughs) (laughs) It deserves a pun bell right there. And then of course, Frisco Jones, who may not be Yachty, but Jack Wagner worked with the personnel that we often refer to on this playlist. So well done on that. I'm assuming that was intentional. And that was for, again, like Easter eggs for the benefit of the the super yacht rock fan. Absolutely. And just, it was also to amuse myself. (laughs) Um, You know, I, 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 I just I wanted to I wanted these songs to reflect like the joy that we felt in exploring the, exploring a new relationship. Uh, um, how do you get through the pandemic and the things that we were indulging ourselves with? So whether it was like making jokes about Jaws or uh, thinking about what what's Jack Wagner doing right now, I wanted that to all be in the songs, you know. And and also I wanted the songs to be timeless. I, I didn't want them necessarily to be about stuff that was happening in the world. I wanted them to be about um, nostalgia and memory and and what got us to the place where we were. So. I have to ask, it, we may have to cut this because it's so like so niche, but John, I don't know if you don't realize this, but there's an, a reference to Aggie U. Sudley. I know. <laughs> I, yeah, well, I started to wonder, does Aggie U. Sudley, we always thought that she was just calling numbers in Detroit. Now, maybe that's true. I don't know. I but, feel like she or might did, Or did they do that for the whole nation, and they cut all of those for the entire nation? <laughs> Aggie Sudley in Detroit, we knew her as when the uh, about uh, they cut into, what, the end of Jeopardy or something like that with the Daily 3 and Daily 4 numbers? Mm-hmm. Yes, John, it was the, the lever I'm pulling is cutting the power to our air-driven yes. wheels. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe then, you remembered that. So and weird. then in this song, we've got the um, Aggie Sudley's tagline, like, if you can't win if you don't play. I'm like, what is this? So, who was that for? And is John right? Was were you seeing Detroit TV where you live, or was it syndicated? Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in outside of Sarnia, so like watched all Detroit TV and um, like you know know all those Bill Bonds, Carmen Harlan, the whole. Oh boy! <laughs> uh, but Aggie, oh you suddenly, and I mean, Michael didn't grow up near um, uh, where I did, but when I explained. The lottery lady to you, you were all over it. So, <laughs> lottery lady. like, I think the lottery lady is a is a universal trope, right? I think there was one in every town. So, in Toronto, we just had our own version, and they used the same tagline: "You can't win if you can't play." <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over. 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So maybe this is a good segue, John, if you don't mind playing in, um, I want to know whose idea this was in summertime. I believe it's summertime, right? Where there is, it's kind of got a feel that might suggest um, dancing in the streets. And for a brief moment, you hear the iconic horn line from Dancing in the Streets itself. You do. She's calling out a lucky numbers. And now it's summertime every day. We get with the band. Yeah, we can't take credit for that, but we did write it to um in that spirit. Um Do you remember how that started even? Like it was piano riff trying yeah. to go for that vibe. It was, it was the know. piano riff and going for that vibe. And that little copped line was Fred's edition. Yeah, well, that's the horn player's edition, I think. Well, it was Fred suggesting it. Oh, did horns. he suggest? Yeah. Oh, look what we're learning because yeah. of you guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, no, I just, like the horns, I've never loved horns on music until now, really. You know, like, I mean, I've always loved those David Foster lines and the flugelhorn and all that stuff. (laughs) But um, I never really understood how to put it in my own music, so it was a real treat to have it on our record. Well, I was going to mention you you have an affinity or an interest in doing covers. You have a lot of uh, interesting, very interesting covers in your catalog. Uh, 2012, I believe, the She's Gone EP, which is absolutely brilliant. I thought the song selection, obviously She's Gone, but then the other three on there adult education method of modern love and say it isn't so all come from that bob clear mountain area where in my mind producer mind i think that was when hall and oates in clear mountain they they produced this amazing sonic masterpiece i mean it was all about the sounds and the production and yet you stripped it all down and found the brilliance of the songs within those oh thank you i mean adult education i could never imagine singing those lyrics in that way. I mean, it's, it's, it's tender, it's emotional, it's just not at all, you know, all I'm hearing in that song is the drumbeat, you know? Right. It's afternoon in the homeroom, they're about to let you go. And the lock slam on the plan you had tonight. You've been messing around with a boyfriend, better left alone. There's a wise guy that you know could put you right In the light, the boy that's idling by Yeah, I mean, I always love to twist covers around. Um, I've done it for a while. I did it on my album, Girl Versions. Yeah, Um, that was the other one. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if you guys know this, but Def Leppard have gone and, and recorded my version of Sugar, which blows my mind still. Um... So yeah, I think I like changing things and I mean, say it isn't so like the Hall and stuff. Um, it was really, it's sometimes bold to mess with those really highly produced things, but yeah. I just thought, why not? So in adult education that I didn't know was there. I really love what you did with that one. Thank you. It, it's true. And I, what I, you say, you hear the drums, John, all I can hear is this aggressive 
electric guitar riff that to me drives the song and that oh, is yeah. stripped down in this little beautiful sort of plinky piano part in your version it's just like <laughs> what comes out to me in your versions of these songs and we can maybe go back to business and pleasure is you strip away everything and you do realize the brilliance of the chord structures in the progressions and i gotta confess i uh one of the many spins of your uh, new record I was doing it to, I don't know, I was walking the dogs or doing yard work or something, just absorbing it. And it was the first time. And I'm listening to the song and the lyrics start sounding familiar to me, but I can't place it. I'm like, maybe this is a cover. I don't even have my phone on me, so I can't check. You know, it's somewhere else. And then it gets to the chord, John, in about two minutes and 15 seconds of real love. You say, comfort me to when Choking up the hurts You live and you learn Well, we've both lived long enough to know That we trade it all right now For just one minute of real love The Doobie Brothers cover <laughs> and my whole body went uh, yeah. like, melty. It's like oh. sudden awareness. Yes. Yeah. And um, when you hear that chord, you're like, there's so much brilliance in that song that maybe I didn't even appreciate when I hear it with the drums in the full production, to your point, John. But when you strip it away and you just hear the chords, it's just pure butter. That's really sweet of you to say. It was an add-on as a thank you to Michael McDonald for inspiring us. Yeah. And um, I didn't know what, Michael McDonald song to cover. It was sort of on the table, like, well, why don't we put a Michael McDonald or Doobie Brothers song on here? And we were listening to like the craziest 80s stuff from like No Looking Back and all that. And mm-hmm. yep. I was like, oh, maybe we should do one of those. And then Fred and Shannon thought Real Love would be great. You did too. Yeah. And um, Pat, I sort of mocked up something and then Pat Coyle came up with what he did and it just made me cry. So... Uh, wow. And Michael did hear it, and he said he thought it was beautiful. Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, I have a, a left turn, if I'm, if I may. Um, That's called uh, port. <laughs> yeah, the I'm, I'm, turn, I'm, I'm uh, attacking port. <laughs> What's this about? The first music video made in outer space. Tell <laughs> me about that. So, um, Chris Hadfield is an astronaut from Sarnia, where I was born. And uh, when he went up into the space station to be the commander, he called me and said, do you want to work on some music? So (laughs) I said, yeah. And then he wanted to do a cover of Space Oddity. So we went back and forth and and, uh, worked that out. And it was a lot of ups and downs. And then he shot a video of himself singing it and it became the first music video ever shot in space. Wow. But it, but it almost didn't see the light of day, right? There was there was an issue getting... You should tell the story about getting the permission to do it. Yeah, like, I guess he wanted Bowie's permission to record it. And then David, like, was sort of AWOL. He wasn't answering any of my emails. And finally, Chris had, like, one month left in space. And he said, you know, what's going on with this? Because copyright in space is a bit of a gray area. Huh. Yeah, who who has the sovereignty up there, <laughs> um, right? Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, no one knows what's going on. I think he just wanted his blessing, right? 
because um, he also changed the lyrics, which is a bold move. Cause he, okay. he, he changed the lyrics so it would work in his favor so the astronaut would survive. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, so I wrote to Bowie and I said, he's only up there for another month. Like he's orbiting around <laughs> and um, maybe you want to know about this. And then he finally wrote back. Bowie wrote back and he said, um, how can we help the Astro Man? <laughs> and, oh, it was a voice message, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and um, he gave his blessing and then got to see it all unfold. And I was really, really proud to be a part of that. And that was one of those, oh my gosh, I never knew this discoveries when I started going back and finding out M. Griner's career since 1998. Tell us how you got uh, introduced to David Bowie because you go on then to tour with David Bowie, record with David Bowie. Um, that's really interesting. How did that all come to be? I had been dropped from my record label and I was sort of floating around doing some shows. I went to New York, which is a place I just got back from. Um, and I love it there. And there were members of the Bowie band there looking for someone to join the band so I was invited into the band and I didn't really have anything else going on. So I was like, you know, I know this guy from Dancing in the Streets and I know him yeah. from Let's Dance. I didn't know anything else, right? Um, and I thought, oh, this might be fun to do. So I said yes. And then the next thing I know, I'm on Saturday Night Live and touring into Europe. So yeah, I always think like, you know, it's great just to say yes to things. You never know what's going to happen. It was never really part of my plan to be a backing singer, but I learned so much from it. And it was, you know, now they're releasing all kinds of stuff that like I was on and it's really a trip. Like, you know, now it's like, oh, they're releasing that concert we did in France or Glastonbury or whatever. So it's, it's allowed me a chance to look back at life um, when I really wouldn't have that documented so it's been awesome there's so many albums in your catalog too uh i would you know encourage the listener to go i mean download I, I thought, oh, we're them gonna, all yeah <laughs> download them all but we're, we're i'm thinking oh we got four or five to look through and i start scrolling through on spotify and i'm thinking is this just a, a compilation no it's another album and they, it goes you've been through so many different sounds and so many different styles um, I don't know if there's a question there other than why. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because I could. And I've been finding my way for like 20 years. I think that's part of the pressure of being an, uh, like an artist in your 20s. You're expected to know exactly what you're doing and what sound you want. And I remember like being at Real World Studios and Peter, like learning that Peter Gabriel wanted to make like a soul record. But he was like, oh, but I'm Peter Gabriel. And it's just like... I don't know. We get into these like modes of what doing what people expect. So I've just been trying out different things based on what I feel like doing, which, you know, that might be confusing to a lot of people, but in a lot of ways it's been a blessing. And then it really has led me to answer that question with our record, which is what do I really love to do. So it's great to be like, you know, we're just excited to make the next record and it's great to have a partner in it after doing it for so long on my own. I got to say it's not ideal <laughs> being an island. So, so 
is your plan, at least as of this moment, to continue to pursue this style, at least for another record? Heck yeah, we got to write this 99 oh, song. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And there's, right. there's quite a few songs we have ideas mm-hmm. for already. Excellent. And um, also, yeah, just, you know, it's not just a co-writing situation. I feel like we have so much fun doing it, right? Yeah. So it's, it's sort of like an you inspire me to do it. Right. If you weren't around, I don't know if I'd be doing it. So right. But mm-hmm. but we've also, as time's gone on, whether we were in the studio or now with them doing live shows, and with the people who helped us put out the records and the labels, we've we've grown a family with this music. And there's the people that that M plays with uh, live, the people who we work with. They are all part of it too. And so it just keeps growing organically that way. Yeah, sorry to cut you off, but like even what you guys do like with, you know, your involvement with the yacht rock groups online. Like yeah. that's a family. You know, I was saying that to to John earlier uh, in my emboldened plea for him to <laughs> go on the road that there the support is there, right? And the family is there and It is. I love that, you know. There's a lot of love, um, mutual love, because it's a mutual love for this music that you've discovered right. that you want to do. John discovered he wants to do. I've discovered I can't do, but with John's help, maybe <laughs> oh, I can make it. But um, there's also this love for what I feel like warms my heart, as I keep saying, you can't wipe the smile off <laughs> yeah. Peter Beckett's face these days. He just seems to be loving life. There's the sort of coda in his career that maybe he never envisioned. And all of that is infectious, too. There's this huge support because we all kind of love the same thing. We all want to support each other. And I was going to say, if you want a family, you got a family in the Yacht Rock circles for sure. Um, well, that's a perfect example, though, that uh, Yacht Rock Review is now touring with Kenny Loggins for his farewell tour yeah. because awesome. of this sort of family situation within it. You know? Yeah, yeah totally, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, like I said before, when you get into this sort of family, which I feel so grateful to be accepted into, you don't need to explain why you love this, and you don't need to no. explain like the, the sort of yeah. s- smarts behind it. It's just like, we all yeah. get it, and I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all of that said, I would be remiss as the cool 90s kid if mm. I didn't ask a question about the song Don't Give In. Don't give in You're not a kid forever It's not like this forever You still don't dance at all Because the beauty of doing what you're doing is you can have fun with it. It's business and pleasure, but you're not bound by it. it to me, I, when I hear Don't Give In... I feel like your 90s roots are showing in a good way. And I have an appreciation uh, for that. So did you feel, do you feel like that song's different from the rest or am I just reading into it? And was there any sort of apprehension to putting that song on this record? I want Michael to take this one, but it, like musically, it, it definitely went to the 90s, but this was totally a song about Michael's life. So you inspired it. And we wanted to go a Traveling Wilburys way with it, kind of. Yeah, a little bit. And, you know, you got for me, it was just the song lyrically rips off Hey 19. Structurally, it rips off Hey 19 and doesn't sound anything like Hey 19. So um, it references, you know, my punk rock childhood. So it's got Paul Westerberg in there. It's got Bob Mould in there, but it's also, but it's also got Randy Rhodes Mm -hmm. and it's also got uh, a little, a little nod to uh, 
yeah, <laughs> little nod to Larry Carlton and to Reaganomics, right? So it's, ah, yeah. Yeah. it's got it's got all of that in there. Um, the Gippers in there. Um, it was. It really is kind of in a, in twenty thirty lines. My my life story, and I think it was. It's a song about nostalgia, but it's also it's also in a way. I think musically, it ended up being kind of a celebration of worlds that we both came from. Interesting. Yeah, but it definitely sticks out on the record. I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's kind of nice that like the song that's about your life is sort of like me doing what I would naturally do, mm. you know, just without any thought kind of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Now, if only that song had a reference to Luke and Laura. Jack or, Wagner. Or, yeah, oh, General Hospital or something. But <laughs> the Cassidines. <laughs> which we, we also would be remiss if we don't mention the song, the reference to Jack Wagner, Frisco. John, you're a huge Jack Wagner guy. Yeah. How did this happen? It's like... We're talking to You're this person. Me, how it happened? I'm asking oh. everybody, how did okay. this happen? Our worlds are colliding. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, all I need is such a great song, right? And I know there's more yeah. to Jack Wagner than that, but that's where it began. And then Michael's a huge golf fan, and I didn't, oh, I okay. didn't know that Jack Wagner is a golfer. So that's where yeah, he, very good. You took it to town. Yeah, he's, he's a hugely talented. Uh, he plays in all kinds of celebrity golf tournaments, and and has won uh, the the Century Classic a couple times. It was just, I think we, we shared this love of, of Jack's music and an appreciation for his career as an actor. And it just kind of collided. And we just had a blast doing it, you know, to imagine Jack on the golf course, but also at the same time be talking about his, his acting career to make reference constantly to his music. It was just trying to do everything at once. <laughs> Nah. Well, John's sitting here right now. He's yeah. got every Jack Wagner album, probably on vinyl. Um, I do. I am right here. Oh my god! Okay. So here's the debut, <laughs> followed by "Lighten Up the Night," which many people don't know that the Commodores also cut the song "Lighten Up the Night." And then I got the third one, "Don't Quit Your Day Job," which is a bit of an ironic title. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Jack did hear Jack. So one of oh no, yeah, kidding. one of my fans worked on his Hallmark Channel show. And oh, um, cool. got to play it for him. And, and he sang the chorus. Yeah, he sang it to us. Yeah, he sang the song about himself. Yeah. Really? No yeah. kidding. Good man. Good Fun man. fact, in case you weren't paying attention to an episode prior, listener, um, uh, Too Young was co-written by Jay Graydon, David Foster, and Donny Osmond. Donnie wow. Osmond, that was the one. I knew there was a wrinkle in that, man. Well, there's your fun fact. Well, All right. I cannot speak highly enough of this album. Like John said, it's been so awesome going through your your catalog and discovering all these different sounds and genres. Um, for listeners of this podcast, you absolutely have to check out the EP that is the um, She's Gone, it's called, right? It's all the, the Daryl Hall and John Oates covers. John... What else do you want to ask? Uh, well, quick question, which this isn't a trick question based on what we talked about before. Are you at a point where you now have a preference, live show or studio cat? Where do you like to be? Wow, that's... <laughs> I know where you want me to be. And I, <laughs> we want to know where you like to be. That's an amazing question. I mean, honestly, like recording the way that we did in Nashville with everyone live off the floor... That was new to me, and I didn't think you could make this kind of a record that way. But mm. in fact, I think it 
was the only way it really could have been made. I've done so much multi-tracking in my life that I was afraid to go there, but it turned out so great just because of the musicianship of everyone. Um, it's been so great to play these songs live. Um, I want to do that more, but it's brand new, right? Like I've never really played songs like this live. So I'm not really answering your question, but if page 99 eventually will go out on the road with August Red and me, yeah. I think well, the your answer... Well, that tells me you like them both. The, yeah. the answer would be live, for sure. Hey, August Red is there, so... We could set up the lot, like the lottery bowl. The, the, <laughs> yes, right? with the suction yeah. to suck the ping pong balls yeah. out. Yeah, because that that's purely legit. As, yeah. <laughs> as long as I get to pull the lever that cuts the power to the air right. wheels. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you for doing this record. Thank you for reaching out. It's been a pleasure getting to know your music, getting to know you both. Um, I can only ask that you hurry up with this next record so we can have you back on ASAP. Oh, thanks. And I think you guys are so great and talented. So thank you. Yeah, we're so grateful. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for having for being on. Thank you so much. Well, I guess that brings us to a lightning round. Yeah, except I have one question. Well, I can ask this in the lightning round, so we'll hit the sound effect. Good, that's prepared for. So, well, I was just wondering, remember when we were talking about the uh, making of the first video in space? Yeah. Were there any missed opportunities there for space puns that we you know, weren't mm. prepared for? It's got to be. Well, so. it was out of this world, that type I of mean, thing? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a ship of some sort, too. Ah, yeah, but you know, anyway. Okay, so I'm glad we waited until after the... Uh, <laughs> lightning round yes, effect for that. Like it struck twice with that thing. Yeah. Yes. Well, All right. That's something else. Yes. Okay. So, are we? Uh, who's going first? Do you have a preference? Well, mine ties in. Okay. So does mine. My well, mine ties one. into puns. So oh. let's go there. Okay. All right. Um, I was <laughs> scrolling around looking for some new material. I guess you might say. Mm. I came across a site that is about bad. Um, Boat puns and jokes, and it's the website. We'll we'll put this out there. It's uh, scarymommy.com slash boat dash puns dash jokes. So I don't know where scarymommy.com comes in, but that's funny in and of itself. Yes. Anyway, they write um, before we cruise right into the punchlines. I should get a ding for cruise, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's take a minute to appreciate some interesting facts about boats. A couple of them you've actually mentioned, or at least one. For example, did you know that it, uh, whistling is considered bad luck? On a boat. Did not know that. Supposedly, it uh, brings about uh, strong winds. Uh, That's not a pun. That is what the lore says. How about you've mentioned that um, the restroom is called? The head? The head. And that is apparently because sailors would relieve themselves on the front of the ship, the head of the ship. Don't know why that would be. Um, but anyway, this could be a whole new podcast for us. I know. Uh, well, are you getting down on the puns already? <laughs> no, no, are you gonna be a keel joy? <laughs> I, was just, I was just gonna say the whole thing yeah. feels off keel. Anyway, but. so here's a couple of their best ones that they have. I'll run these real quick. What kind of vegetables not allowed on ships? I don't know. Leeks. Uh, what happened to the boat carrying red paint and it crashed into a boat carrying blue paint? Uh, purple rain. Ah, no, the crew got marooned. <laughs> <laughs> last one last one you promise yes the cast of friends got stuck at sea but there was no problem you know why why because lisa could row and david was a swimmer <laughs> oh wow all, all right. right back to yacht rock anyway uh, all my friends love yacht rock and therefore i love rock yacht rock you know why 
Why? Peer pressure. Uh, all right. <laughs> no, I'm done. Right. But I'll be you here sure? all week and try the veal. Okay. All right. Well, that's a tough act to follow, as it were. <laughs> uh, okay. So, found at sea. Yeah. Um, because you and I have been found at sea with our little Yacht Rock endeavors here. Uh, I am welcoming M. Griner and Michael Holmes, who have also been found at sea now with this new Yacht Rock collection. Yep. I'm going to say my favorite song off Business and Pleasure is play is uh, is Jack. So, let's play a little Jack. HCP Frisco Jones and Austin Tahoe Ooh, you gave me Yep, that one gets stuck in your head. It does. All you need is a little more jack, yep. and it's just, it's there. Half-time shuffle, baby. Earworm. Well yeah. done. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, since I was so quick with my found at sea, I'm going to ask you to indulge me on my buried treasures, right. because I've got a few quick clips to show. Okay. My buried treasures are all the Easter eggs that the production team and musicians put into this album to make it such a fun listen. So, real quick, did, when you listen, the very first track is called Loose Wig. If you listen to the solo, there's a solo section in the middle, and then there's a playout solo. Mm-hmm. I swear to God that this first solo is not necessarily trying to be Lukather, but is much more in a rock sort of modality. So let's hit this at 245. Now, the second one, I swear to God, is evoking some Jay Graydon on the playout. So here's 355. Okay, so I mentioned, uh, obviously, the Dancing in the Streets yeah, bit, right? Yeah, we played that one, right? That was cool. Um, and then, finally, back to the guitar work, uh, Burn the Boats, which, hey, there's hmm. a pun. Um, Doesn't sound like a good idea for a yacht rocker to burn their boat. No, not really. Ahead. No, yeah. but um, tell me if you think the guitarist here on the playout is conjuring a little Denny Diaz from Do It Again. The electric sitar. Yeah, see? That's an interesting instrument. I've seen one of those played on a project I did once, and it plays just like a guitar. It's just got a different kind of resonator underneath the strings. Yeah. It's pretty cool. cool. I'm glad that they threw all those little Easter eggs yeah. in. So there are your dose of buried treasures. What do you have for buried treasure? Well, my buried treasure goes to uh, M's album, 2012. We kind of delved into it a little bit. The um, She's Gone album, which is a, it's an EP, and she goes after these Hall & Oates covers and really reimagines them and uh the title track is the one that is the buried treasure for me they're all great but uh she's gone is the buried treasure that i'm going to hit you with right here Okay, well, that, yeah, very nice. Very, very, very nice. Uh, you'll see why in a second. But okay. Go ahead. What do you got well, for Well, so keeping that? in that uh, vein, we have, uh, she also mentioned in 1997, she did uh, 
more extensive album of covers called uh, Girl Versions, where she took her, I, apparently I, the implication is her feminine take on more masculine songs. And uh, I don't know if I can explain that my expectations were, oh God, when I saw that she did pour some sugar on me. And I thought, <laughs> how are you going to sing those lines? Yet you go and you listen to it, and man, she just finds a way to make it work. And it worked so well, she mentioned in the podcast, that uh, the uh, guys at Def Leppard are now doing her version on some occasions live. But here is Pour Some Sugar On Me by M. Griner. Red light, yellow light, green light, go. Crazy little woman in a one-man show. Mirror queen, mannequin, rhythm of love. That is very cool. Very yeah. cool. Well, I think this is the first. We've just um, encountered a first. How many podcasts have we recorded now? Several? Oh, geez. Several. Yeah, at least. I think this is the first time that one of us has stolen somebody else's lightning round. And she's gone was going to be my off the map. Ah. So I am going to pull something from the same record because I have such an appreciation for it. And specifically off the map, um, her version of adult education, listen to how she reimagines that sort of guitar, that very aggressive guitar sound. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is what it sounds like on piano. So yeah, we almost we touched on that earlier, but we never really featured that part. It kind of got faded off. But uh, yeah, that's another unexpected thing. It's funny you, you had talked that you can't miss that guitar part. That's the one that jumps out of you from that tune. For me, it's the the drum sounds. Yeah, but, neither are there, and it still works. Yeah, that Clear Mountain era of Hall and Oates. So that would be the um, the Big Bam Boom album, and then when they released their Rock and Soul. Part one, they had two new cuts on that, which is Say It Isn't So and Adult Education. So she covered those two, plus she's gone and Method, Method of Modern, Modern Love. Love. Yep. Yeah. So she hit the sweet spot there. Yeah, awesome. definitely. Definitely hit the sweet spot with uh, Business and Pleasure, wouldn't you agree? I agree. Okay, well, uh, pull out your little nautical pun thing. Okay, I got it open. Go to the A's, A-H-A-H-O-A-O. Uh -huh. Oh, here's one. Ahoy, Poloi. <laughs> 